we're in we're in Matthew chapter one. How to how to get ready for Christmas? That's the idea. How do we prepare for Christmas Day for for the birth of Christ? Now it's a pretty common question. One it's one that I know when Leslie and I were were first uh, starting a family. You know, I was wanting to know how do you prepare for Christmas, and she said you prepare for Christmas by just asking me. This is what we're going to do for Christmas. Uh, and so she got out all her you know her pretties and all that, and I said, well, that's apparently how we prepare for Christmas. But no, you start getting family, and you start thinking about Christmas time as it as it comes up, and you're wanting to know how do we get ready for this this Christmas day for this Christ must I mean I mean how do we how do we make sure you know we talk about the world taking Christ out of Christmas well how do we make sure that we are celebrating Christmas the right way and so that's something we always I think is a natural thing toward normally when we ask that we want to we want to know that that uh, you know the, the right the right ways to think about Christmas where do our thoughts need to be normally it's not on like you know what sort of what sort of baubles or trinkets should I have or not have Norm, normally it's about where where does my heart need to be where does my head need to be leading up to Christmas day I want to make sure that 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 I am giving Christ the the adoration that I'm saying this season uh, this season deserves and so you know you got everything from Wanting to know when is it okay to start thinking about Christmas, right? Uh, is it too, you know, is it too soon to play Christmas music, you know, before Thanksgiving? Do you have to wait till November? Do you have to wait till, you know, the, the turkey's been served? And then, you know, then as everyone's passed out from that, you sort of wake them up with Christmas tunes. Uh, how does, how does that work out? What do you do with, uh, you know, you know, different sort of family traditions that you might have? We want to, and I think those are the right thoughts, because we want to celebrate Christmas in a biblical way. We want to give honor to Christ. We want to give the adoration that these, that these events deserve. Uh, and so what I, what I want to say when we talk about preparing for Christmas, I'm not talking about how do you celebrate. What, what we're going to look at are where, does the, where is the Bible trying to get our heads mentally as it prepares us for Christmas. Because the Bible actually does that. And does it in Matthew chapter 1. Because there's a lot of ways, a lot of things we could say, oh, this is what you need to be thinking about leading up to Christmas Day. These are, and I mean, we could have thought upon thought upon thought of what you need to do. But if you'll notice in Matthew chapter 1, God actually does that. Because in Matthew chapter 1, we have the story of the birth of Jesus, right? But the birth of Jesus doesn't take place until when? Until verse 18. So before verse 18, before we get into the events of Christmas itself, we have this opening section that is God setting the stage for those events. Setting, and, and really, we're going to see showing us where our thoughts need to be, what we need to be thinking about when the birth of Christ happens. In other words, Matthew's getting our, our thinking in the right spot, making sure we're thinking the right things before he gives us the Christmas story, before Christmas Day. Matthew is preparing us for Christmas. And so I think as, as we read Matthew 1, we're going to see, okay, so if we take these opening 17 verses, why did God put them here? And where is God trying to get the people's heads before Jesus is born? Before Christmas Day, where is why doesn't he just jump into now the birth of Christ took place in this way? Why does he have this set up? 
Uh, and we're going to see we've got at least nine things uh, that we're going to mine from this text. We're not going to get if you see your notes, you're like, my notes only go to four. Uh, well, that's that's because we broke it up uh, because I was like, I told Leslie, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to do all nine. And then I was like, no, you know, it just feels bad to rush scripture in preparation for Christmas. It just seems like uh, so we're going to get some things in our heads and then we'll get the rest uh, next week. But let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. And let's read the Christmas story. We'll begin in Matthew chapter one. We'll read all the way through verse 25. We're going to knock all of Matthew one out in this in this reading. Beginning in verse one. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these are the words of our God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father to Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. It's from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready for the coming celebration of the birth of our Savior. As we rejoice in 
all of the promises of you having their yes. Father, we utter our amen loudly this season, so loudly that this amen would resonate through every other day in our year, that we would remember your faithfulness, that you always keep your promises. And we look to this day as a great reminder, a feast to remember. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've got here, we've got Matthew 1, we've got the Christmas story, but we've got this, you, know, you might call it interesting introduction, if most people tend to think that genealogies are interesting. You've got this interesting genealogy, and, and, and that's what's interesting about this introduction, is actually normally when we read the Christmas story, we're tempted to skip it. Uh, or when, you, when we, we say, let's read the Christmas story, and we open it, and we go, uh, okay, verse 18. Uh, and, we, and we start there. We skip it, or we breeze through it, because it's, it's just a genealogy. Now, we're going to talk about this next week. There's a, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say it's just a genealogy, one, because it's there on purpose. Uh, you know, God put it in his word on purpose. And, and again, in, if you read your Bibles, you're going to see there's no such thing as just a genealogy, especially this one. Uh, and, and so we'll do more on that and, and do some genealogy training next week. Uh, but this, this opening passage, the, these first 17 verses of Matthew are actually there to get us ready for the Christmas story. They're setting the stage for what's about to happen. And so it's very important for us to read these verses and to know where is God trying to get our head. So if God begins the Christmas story with these verses, we're going to make sure that we begin by looking our own preparation. Okay, we've got Christmas coming on Saturday, less than a week away. Where do our minds need to be before we get to Christmas Day and say, now the birth of Christ took place in this way? How do we get our heads where they need to be? What sort of thoughts are we supposed to be thinking in preparation? If he's preparing these readers' minds for the birth of Christ, then we know these same preparations are good for our minds. This is where believers' heads need to be. And so let's dig through these first 17 verses. Let's see what God wanted us to be thinking about uh, and where our thoughts should be leading up to Christmas. If, you, if you've got your handout, you can, you can fill it out there. Uh, first thing to be thinking about is to think beyond the manger. Okay. First thing we learn from these first 17 verses is we need to be thinking beyond the manger. Now, when we think of Christmas, we normally begin by, by, by wrapping our minds around that scene at the manger. But the Bible actually tells us that Jesus is, the birth of Jesus is about more than just what happens at that manger scene. Uh, and look at, look at, look at verse one. And we're going to spend a lot of time in verse one today. So, so be ready for that. Look at verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So if I told you skipping it didn't make sense, here we see already right off the bat, this genealogy is important for understanding who Jesus is. This genealogy is important for understanding this whole book. Now we, we titled this book, the gospel of Matthew, but God actually tells us that the, the title of this book is, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, only Revelation comes close to saying, this is the title you should give this book, right? Uh, and that, that's what we see here. Now, now, if you want to keep calling this book Matthew, that's certainly fine. But what we can't do 
What we can't do is think that these opening verses are anything less than very important. Because God starts off by saying, this book is the book of the genealogy. Which is so funny, because then when we read this book of Matthew, what do we skip? The genealogy. Or what do we assume is just a bunch of names? The genealogy. Or what do we think is just for, you know, the the Mormons to use? Or someone who likes genealogies? This first 17 verses. He starts us out in Matthew 1 by saying, this book is about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you can see how how elementary we can get in our Bible reading sometimes. That I mean, how many of us have, have ever even noticed that in that first that first verse? This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. These first 17 verses. So God is immediately telling, look, look, you need, if you're going to understand who Christ is, you don't just jump into the manger scene. This is a book about the genealogy of Christ, which means we're meant to consider Jesus' place, not just in the manger, but Jesus' place in the history of humanity. Jesus is the culmination of a story. The, the birth of Jesus is not the beginning of a story. It is the culmination of one. A story that has driven through human ancestry. I mean, Jesus has a, a family tree. Jesus has a, fa- a human family tree. A very intentional, if you've been reading your Old Testament, or if you've been with us on Sunday afternoons when Zachary's reading to us, he is giving us like the guided tour of the intentionality of that seed. Well, now we're in the New Testament, but he was. Uh, and, and as we're seeing that this is a very intentional uh, uh, family tree that God has given Christ here. So to get their minds ready for the birth of Jesus, the first thing God does is God took them to the family history of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to tell you about Christ. This is the book about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So so if God takes them to the genealogy, I encourage us to, if you want to get your minds wrapped around Christmas, the first thing you need to do is begin to go, all right, I need to understand where Jesus came from. I need to understand his place in this genealogy. I need to understand that Jesus had a family tree. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure we don't have this truncated version of a nativity scene. And if you think about it this way, our thoughts of the birth of Christ uh, as the nativity scene sort of, sort of plays out in our heads... It should include more than just Joseph uh, and Mary and the baby. And, 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 and really, it should include more than Joseph, Mary, and baby, and shepherds, and wise men, and angels. It should be even more than that. If anything, our manger scenes should be more full. They should be stacked with person upon person who leads up to this moment, there should be behind our mangers in like shadowed form, a crowd of people surrounding the manger all of their lives leading to this moment. Because that's what the genealogy is telling us. From the very beginning, this son of David, this son of Abraham, and he starts walking through the people of God from Genesis chapter 12. And walks us through every line and every birth and the next one and the next one and the next one. And they are leading us to this moment. But to understand the moment, 
we've got to realize that God begins not by taking us to the manger, but by pulling back our vision from it. By giving us a wide view of human history and showing us that all of this is leading to that moment. So when you think about Christmas, the first thing you can do is think beyond the manger scene. The the, the birth of Jesus, the zenith of, of human history. Far beyond just the scene at the end. This isn't, just a, this isn't just a story that begins at an end. This is a story that begins at the beginning. And that's what we're going to see. Matthew isn't just pointing us to the family tree of Jesus. Matthew's actually taking us back even further. Matthew's taking us back all the way to the beginning. So, so what you can do, second way you can prepare, is he say, so he's taking us back to the beginning. When I say the beginning, I mean the very beginning. I mean he's taking us back to the book of Genesis. Matthew's taking us back to the book of Genesis. So the, so the second thing you can do, you can think about beyond the manger, and you can think about how it all began. Think about how it all began. And, and, and tying the Jesus story with that, but not just the Jesus, but I mean everything. Look again at Matthew 1.1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The first place God takes us is to the beginning. Again, I don't mean just the beginning of Jesus' life. I mean, he takes us back to the book of Genesis. Now, how does this take us? How, if you read Matthew 1, 1, do you go, obviously Genesis? Uh, because there's, there's two, two ways you know that Matthew is trying to make us think about Genesis. The first one is that the word for genealogy is the word, guess what? Genesis. So that's going to that's gonna really, so if the, as the first readers are reading, now this is the problem because we don't read it in Greek, right? We read it in English. But if the first readers, as they're reading it, they're reading, this is the, the story of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. And so you're, if you're going, you're automatically going to be thinking, well, I know a book named Genesis. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to be thinking, I know, I know where to turn. Uh, and that's what he's doing. So, the, so, so, so this is the, the beginning, this is the book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. And I mean, think about it. If you, if you saw a book, if the, if, let's say if the book opened this way, if the book said, the very first verse was, this is the book of the exodus of Jesus Christ. What would you immediately think? He's trying to make us think of exodus. I know he is. He just said exodus and I know. And, and that's what we have here. This is the book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. So that's where our minds should be going. And if, it is, if we're reading it in the Greek, and that's why a, a good pastor should point this out, is, uh, is that this is, this is how these early Christians are being set up. This is, the, this is the genealogy. This is the genesis. This is the beginning. And so our minds should be going back to the beginning. So the, the first way that we know he's trying to get us back to where it all began is by using the word. This is the, the genesis, the genosis of, of Jesus Christ. But the second is just that phrase in general, genealogy of, genealogy of, genealogy of. God isn't just using that phrase haphazardly or arbitrarily or, or the, this phrase genealogy of is a phrase very much tied to the book of Genesis. I don't know when the last time you read Genesis, but if you've read it recently and you hear this is the genealogy of, this is the genealogy, you know, that's how Genesis is, is uh, Genesis uses that phrase multiple, multiple times. Uh, now, in the Old Testament, they normally, in your Old Testament, they normally translate it, these are the generations of, but it's going to be the same word, uh, just translation differences. So let me show you what I'm talking about. L- listen to how many times you see this I- as you're reading the book of Genesis. So Genesis 2-4. These are the generations. So gene- generations, genealogy, same word. So remember that. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. 
Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Genesis 6.9. These are the generations of Noah. Genesis 10.1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Genesis 11.1. These are the generations of Shem. Genesis 11.27. These are the generations of Terah. Genesis 25.12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Genesis 25.19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Genesis 36.1. These are the generations of Esau. Genesis 37.2. These are the generations of Jacob. In fact, that phrase, these are the generations of, serves like a signpost through the whole book of, of Genesis, sort of guiding. In fact, you, many people, and I think rightly, uh, structure the whole book of Genesis around the usage of that phrase, almost like chapter markers. Like I'm beginning a new section. Okay, here's the section on Abraham. Right. Here's the section on Jacob. Here's I mean, they just sort of move like here's a here's a section on Isaac. Here's the section on Jacob. It sort of moves us through that progression. And so although this is, again, translated differently, here's the exact same phrase, the exact same phrase that was used over and over in the book of Genesis is now used here. So you've got a common phrase from the book of Genesis And God uses that common phrase from the book about the beginnings to now open the book about the beginnings, the generations, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So it's clear that our thoughts of Jesus' birth should remind us of the birth of everything, of the beginning of it all. Of Jesus as the progression of the story that began all the way back at the beginning. I think about it, the first book of the New Testament is casting our eyes backwards to the first book of the entire Bible. So when preparing for Christmas, our heart should be drawn to the, to the beginning of everything. That this moment is where it has all been leading. This is a, this is a, this is a new beginning. This is, a, this is a new Genesis. In fact, the Bible doesn't use this. The Bible uses this phrase one other time. And it's, it's in the birth of, of, this is the generation that uses one other time in its book of Ruth to talk about these are the generations that lead to King David. It's the only other time these are the generations of that phrase is used in the Old Testament except in the book of Genesis. It's a very much a Genesis phrase. God doesn't just sprinkle it throughout, you know, Scripture. And so it's just a common phrase. It's used there in Genesis. It's used at the very end of Ruth, which we're going to talk about Next week, she's the very end of Ruth, and it's used here. This is where this has all been leading. From the beginning, we now have a new beginning, a new Genesis in Jesus Christ. So think about uh, beyond the manger, think about how it all began. But here in Matthew, I think God is actually being even more specific than just bringing us back to Genesis. Matthew wants us not just to think about the book of Genesis as a whole, although he does. He's getting us back specifically to think about one person in that story. He's he's wanting us to think about Adam. To think about Adam. Now, I don't know if you noticed... I hope you did because it, it, it'll show you, you, you've got a discerning eye, but you're like, but the verses flash by, I'm sure, really fast because Clay's got really fast fingers back there. But he does a good job. He does a good job. There we go. 
But it, it, many of you missed it. it, it it's okay. Use this as like, a, as a, like an eye exam. All of the verses that I pointed to in Genesis, they were all the same, right? Every single one of them. Except for one. Did you notice one that was worded differently from all the others? Whose was different? Whose was different? Whose didn't say these are the generations of? There was one and it was Adam. And it was, that's in Genesis 5.1. Do you notice the parallel in the difference of Adam's? And this one, all the other genealogies said these are the generations of, except for Adam's, which said what? This is the book of the generations of Adam. So when you compare that now with Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, no other genealogy began. This is the book of the, gen- of the generations, of the genealogy of, of Abraham or, or, or Isaac or, or, or any of them. But here in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, as we're reading this gospel, the very first words of the gospel take us all the way back to Genesis and then more specifically take us all the way back to the very first man. Because what do we have in Jesus? In Jesus, we have now a new Adam. We have a new beginning, not just to everything, but to mankind. A new beginning for humanity. Remember, the word Adam means man. This is a new Adam. This is a new man. He is giving birth to the new man. And the rest of the New Testament lays this out for us, right? Jesus is the second Adam. He is the the last Adam. Romans 5.14 tells us death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, we, we often think of stuff in the, in, the, in the New Testament as like the stuff in the Old Testament, but really, it's, it's really the other way around. The, the stuff in the Old Testament was a shadow. The stuff in the, the Old Testament is pointing us to the reality that we see in the new in Christ. In this case, Adam wasn't even really Adam. He wasn't really, he was a type of the one who was, Adam himself was a shadow of the true man to come. Jesus in many ways is more Adam than Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here again, we see the connection that the New Testament is going to work out between Jesus and Adam. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the last man, the last Adam. He is the ultimate Adam, the ultimate man. Because not only is he alive, like the first Adam was, He is life-giving. So he's not just alive. This Adam, this man, this last Adam gives life. So how does God get Adam into our heads in this genealogy? How does God get... So as we're working to the birth story, how is God going to make us think about Adam without just coming out and saying, Hey, think about Adam. And then it's going, Oh, okay, so I'm ready. Thinking about Adam. What does he do? He uses the exact same words from Genesis that his people would have known. What is God doing? He's showing us before the birth even happens. We've got a new Adam story. 
We've got a new man. The last Adam is going to be born and he is going to bring not death, but life. A new Adam is coming. So as we're preparing for Christmas, remember how we got here. Right? So before we jump into the manger scene, remember everything that got us to the manger scene. Remember all of the, the, pull your vision back. Remember where it all began. Trace all the way back to Genesis and see that this story began all the way back there. And then more specifically, see within Genesis, the story of Adam and his fall. And remember, that's going to show us why we're even waiting for this to begin with. Why are we longing for this day? Why are we rejoicing at the coming of this Savior? Why do we need a Savior to begin with? All, with that, all That only makes sense if you pull back all the way to Genesis. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. All the way to Genesis 5. Pull all the way back there and see all of human history. All of the history of man, of Adam, has been leading to this moment. Now we have a new beginning. And we have a new beginning because in Jesus, we have the Messiah. So that's the next thing. That's number, number four. Think about the Messiah. So think about uh, uh, the beginning of it all, beyond the manger, begin, how it all began. Think about Adam. But then within that, he's not even done. He says, and think about who Jesus is. And Jesus is the Christ. Look at Matthew 1.1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus. But he doesn't just end of Jesus, right? Of Jesus whom? Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ. This isn't just the genealogy of Jesus. This is the genealogy, the generations of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Now again, we've talked about this a lot, so I'm sure you, you remember the, the word Christ is just the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. If you hear the word Messiah, that's just that, that you know Hebrew now, because uh, that's the Hebrew word, uh, Messiah. If you hear Christ, now you know Greek. You at least know one Greek word and one Hebrew word. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know Christ and you know Messiah. Both of those are just pointing to someone who is the anointed one. Well, Jesus is the anointed one. And this book is the book of Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Remember, the Old Testament was full of messiahs. It was full of people who'd been appointed and anointed for various tasks. You had just about every king, every priest, they'd all been anointed. But all of them were shadows of the one messiah who would come and would be God himself coming to save his people. So in this opening verse of Matthew, God is preparing us that this Jesus is the Christ promised so long ago. Promised, I mean, he's already taking us back to Genesis, promised all the way in Genesis 3. This is the seed that is going to crush the head of the serpent. Here's the one that you've been waiting on since the problem with Adam. So he's taking us back to Genesis. He's taking us back to Adam and his fall. And now he takes us to the solution. Here is the one we've been waiting on. This is the Messiah of all Messiahs. This is the Christ of all Christs. In fact, the people we know that even though the New Testament was full of people who were Messiahs and people who were Christ, that 
that there was the expectation that all of these are a shadow, that we're waiting for the one true Christ. We actually see that in the Christmas story, right? What two people do we see are waiting for this event? Simeon and Anna, right, in Luke chapter 2. So, so look at this expectation that the people knew, yeah, we've had these messiahs, but all of them were pointing to the Messiah to come, to the Christ, uh, we can see that, that this was the expectation that, that the people already had. So Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon's going to go on to rejoice that in seeing Jesus, he has seen the salvation that that Christ was going to bring. So Luke sets us up. The the Luke story tells us there were people waiting for the Christ. There was this expectation, not just for a Christ, not just a Messiah, but the Messiah. Not just another anointed one who could be anointed a a great king like David or a horrible one like Saul, uh, but, but the Christ to come. But Matthew also tells us about this. Look at verse 16. 16 and 17. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Right? This is the expected Christ. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations from deportation Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, what's crazy is that only makes sense if, you know what David was? He was a little C Christ. He was an anointed one. He was the Lord's anointed. Uh, So you see this expectation already here. You've got multiple people in those generations who had been anointed for various tasks, but none of them were the Christ. This is the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. All is 14 generations, 14 generations building up to not just a Christ, but the Christ. God is letting us know, but before the birth of Jesus, this isn't just another genealogy in a, in a Bible full of genealogies, right? This is the story of the birth of Jesus, who is the Christ. And so, how can, so we'll, we'll stop there. We've got five more. So, I'm sorry, you're only going to have like half a Christmas. Uh, you'll only be half prepared for Christmas. Uh, but we've got more, hopefully, and you'll, we'll see that these thoughts are supposed to continue throughout the year. But, but as we're preparing our minds, look at what, how do we get ready for Christmas this year? The same way, I mean, the same way God got these people ready 60 years after Christmas Day. Remember, God's not handing out Matthew to shepherds in, in their, watching their flocks. And they're going, oh, I see what's about to happen. I mean, these are people who knew about Christ, who knew about who he was, who knew about Jesus, and who are just getting to read, the, who, who beyond hearing it, passed down, are now getting to read from the mouth of God the events of the Christmas story. How does he prepare them? Well, the way he prepared them 60 years after is the same way he prepares us 2,000 years after. He fixes their eyes, not just on the manger, but by taking them back all the way to the very beginning, back to Genesis, back to the very days of creation itself, to the first stories of, of fallen humanity, back to Adam. 
And now, what do we have now? We have a new Genesis. We have a new beginning. We have a new creation. The first story is not of fallen humanity, but of redeemed humanity. And we have a new Adam. What should you be thinking to prepare for Christmas? That Christmas isn't just a beginning. Christmas is an ending. It's not just, it's not just a birth. This is a rebirth. Resetting everything that has happened in the history of humanity. And the manger, the manger has the eyes, not just of shepherds and wise men. The manger has the eyes of the entire world on it. Every person that was born from every man and every woman leading to this, not just, not just the eyes of, of that world, but the eyes of everyone who came before and of everyone who will come after. All looking for the Christ. The one that that human history since Adam has been plunging toward. All eyes are on this moment. And it's with that mindset, after, after getting our minds wrapped around the progression of everything, really blowing our minds and saying, you want to understand what's about to happen? You want to understand Jesus? Let me take you back to Genesis. Let me take you back to how it all began. Let me pull you out of this manger event. You want to tell me about the wise men. Tell me about, tell me about Mary. And Joseph, he says, let me take you back to Adam. Let me take you back to the beginning. And with our minds blown at how big this event is, generation after generation, God establishing 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations to lead to this moment. After he's, after he's blown our minds, what does he say? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Let's pray. Just as you take a moment, ask that God would get your minds where they need to be for Christmas. For the birth of Christ. And, and, and that's a teaching thing. It's not, it's not necessarily rebuked. It has to happen. If you need to be rebuked because your mind isn't even thinking about Jesus at all, that's fine. But, but really what we see here is God just helping us to understand the depth of these events. The 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 sweeping magnitude of what we're about to celebrate. We've been celebrating most of our lives, so it's kind of become, uh, you know, almost uh, easy and, uh, and, and simple. And, and we're not astounded that we're about to celebrate the moment that all of human history has been looking for. We're about to celebrate what all of the promises of God were pointing to. So if we want to get, if we want to start thinking rightly about Christmas, start by saying, God, just help me to understand how big this event is, how big the birth of the Christ is. <laughs> and maybe say, God, help me to understand my Old Testament's even more, uh, because I did, maybe if I understood the Old Testament more, that'd help me understand this more, whatever it is, just, just ask that God would pull you, your mind back from the manger scene and fill it with all of the history that's leading to this event and how you are pulled into that history. Because you are a son 
and a daughter of Adam. But now, in Christ, a new Adam has come. May we be united not just to the old Adam, but the new one. The Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The one who isn't just alive, but who gives life. May we remember that when we think about this, this Christmas day. This child who is alive is the one who gives life. Father, we come to you today and we thank you. We thank you that, that God, we're able to celebrate this day. We, we should be able to thank you just as people for thousands of years did. Most of human history has been thanking you for making the promise. And, and that would be more than we deserved. If we were still sitting before the coming of Christ, if Christmas were still just anticipatory, Father, we'd have every reason to come here and celebrate The Christ is going to come. We know this. God has promised it. But we're in a blessed position, Father. We get to to see that the Christ has come. And so, Father, sometimes that causes our our minds to, to forget everything that came before that event, that made that event so great. So, Father, I pray that we would be captivated, God, by the great depth that is the birth of our Savior. That our minds would see, would be pulled all the way back to the beginning of it all. To the Genesis, to to the first Adam. So that we might understand the need for a new Adam. For a last Adam. And the hope that that gives us. One who, who isn't just alive, but who gives life. Help us to remember this as we celebrate this coming Christmas day. May our minds just be flooded, flooded with all that this day means. And may we give you glory even as we admit our ignorance. That even as, even as our minds are blown, we know even then we still do not fully grasp all that happened on that day. But we promise to give you all the glory, all the praise, all the adoration for the birth of Jesus, our Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.